I don't see any American dream, I see an American nightmare. We never initiate any violence upon anyone, but if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, you have to look for that other man for justice, and you'll never get it. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us, but we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. We are ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom. What price are you talking about? The price of freedom is death. Welcome to Make It Plain, where we offer Christian reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. I'm Philip Holmes. And I'm Taylor Gray, and we are your hosts. So, Phil, today I wanted to just take a moment before we get into the meat of our discussion today and offer a disclaimer of sorts. For those who are listening, we just really appreciate your support and your feedback. There's a particular reoccurring point of feedback that I want to engage with right now, and and that is to say that Phil and I don't consider ourselves to be Malcolm X scholars. Um, we, We are not here to unfold the intricacies of Malcolm's life in detail, give specific uh, instruction in how to understand him in the in the context of academic history being portrayed as a linear focus. What we're doing is engaging with his words in a discussion format. And from what he's actually said, we gain perspective on how to engage with society. So if you, if you thought this was kind of like a classroom setting, it's it's not that. It's more of a conversational setting. Um, in the intro, we say we are looking to reflect on his words, to reflect on what we can learn, and hopefully in the process of doing that, deconstruct our, our, our perceptions of him and um, you know approach figures like him, historical figures like him with more humility as Christians, because it seems as if we're, we're more likely or more prone to throw away voices like this or, or to downplay voices like this in our historical context in this country. So just wanted to throw that out there to maybe reorient perspective of how to engage with this podcast. So yeah, that's that's our disclaimer. And for those of you who are listening, who have been devoted to Malcolm X for a number of years and, and you know really consider him a strong influence in your life, we're not here to sanitize him either. We're, we're here to interact with the difficult quotes and actions, interpreting the actions that he took part in through his life. We're here to interact with all of it. We're not here to sanitize him and make folks comfortable just for the sake of trying to appeal. But at the same time, man, like we're just, we're just two brothers sitting here trying to give historical and conversational perspective on someone who's been demonized we believe has been demonized. And I'll say for as a person who's interacted with Malcolm a ton in my life, I think there's a whole lot for us to learn and to even appreciate in light of what's going on now. So we'll start our discussion as we typically do with the Malcolm X quote. Malcolm says this, the white man will try to satisfy us with symbolic victories rather than economic equity and real justice. Man, Phil, how did mm. how did that hit you when you first read that? So at the time of this recording, it is Juneteenth. So by the time you guys hear this, it will be the Wednesday after Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Taylor, you sent me this quote yesterday, Friday, 
And I was like, that's the next episode. That <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Because, as many of you know, Juneteenth just became a federal holiday. And I immediately looked at it as certainly a victory, but a symbolic victory nonetheless. Yeah. And so you see all of these articles that are popping up. Rightfully so, saying, yeah, we got Juneteenth, guys, but none of the other policies that actually matter actually went forth. And then you also have all of these anti-CRT laws that are being passed, which, again, you guys, if, if this is your first episode, and go back and listen to the previous episodes before you assume what we actually believe or don't believe about CRT. But mm-hmm. you have all these anti-CRT laws that are being passed which is essentially laws that are making it very difficult to present an accurate history of what actually happened to black people in this country. And it makes it difficult for educators to talk about these things because as we have seen in the circus uh, via Twitter, social media, but also in Capitol Hill, talking about race, talking about slavery, talking about civil rights movement and all the stuff that has transpired over the last 200 years, these things are all being conflated with the CRT boogeyman. Mm -hmm. Because when you talk Mm -hmm. about one, you must be a proponent of the other, which is absolutely false. Honestly, I I was just responding to, you know, just the way folks interact with, um, you know, whether it's CRT or, or any other kind of broader ideology that comments on systemic structures and and things like that and and how folks just have an allergic reaction from a distance, you know, instead of getting up close and trying to understand better, not only what's being written, what's what's being communicated, but who is writing and who is communicating. So we go back to this Malcolm X quote, I'm just going to let our listeners know, now you are engaging with Malcolm X. You're engaging with his words because he says this. He says, a white man, the white man will try to satisfy us with symbolic victories. So what is an example of a symbolic victory? In this case, we're talking about Juneteenth, which is an attempt to take time, take space, take a day to reflect on uh, what has actually been a part of our country's history, the story of America, the story of a particular people group trying to make their way in this country. And um, it, it's it's a painful part of our history. And we can't sit here and act like it, it doesn't deserve reflection or it doesn't deserve space for us to, to understand better why it's significant. But first, before we, we kind of get into more of the critical part of this, I do want to acknowledge that there is a woman named Uh, Sister Opal Lee, who's 94 years old, she's been fighting for this for a long time, for decades, for the the federal government to acknowledge Juneteenth as a national holiday. So I don't want to just act like her efforts were meaningless. Uh, This is something that she's been advocating for for a long, long time. So as we interact with Juneteenth as a symbolic victory, it ain't symbolic for her. She's 94 years old, so I'm going to give her her flowers and, and say thank you, sister, for your advocacy. Amen. Uh, but at the same time, from a, from a critical standpoint, um, there are <laughs> things on the table that many activists and community leaders and, and even church voices have been 
advocating for in recent years that have gone largely unaddressed. So in the face of actual legislation that's sitting in Congress or that's being advocated for on a local, state, city level, um, we get this. We say, hey, we're going to push this through and get Juneteenth as a national holiday. Uh, maybe for you, that means you get a day off of work. But I don't know if that if that just took place on this past Friday for you. Maybe you got to wait a year to get that day off. End of the day, this is this is a form of um, acknowledgement of, of what black people have gone through in this country. And and now we take space to look at it more deeply. But unfortunately, the symbolism associated with it almost kind of assigns us for some people, maybe assigns this notion that, all right, we're past this. And, and now look at the better place we're in right now. And, you know, we want everybody to to now take part in this celebration as a country. But there's such, there's something painful about asking people to take part in a celebration that they don't understand. You're putting and forcing people into a narrative that they may not understand nor embrace. So the symbolism falls short of the actual thing you're trying to accomplish, which is restoring unity, which is providing equity, which is addressing the issues that ultimately are causing the black community pain. So here we go, you get a day off of work, but on Monday, you still have to deal with the everyday realities that you're, you're trying to change. 100%. I think to, forgive me if I missed this, because um, you may have alluded to it, but that point that you made about how this type of symbolic victory, in some ways, from a critical standpoint, actually conflicts with the overall goal of unity, remembering, honoring, acknowledging, especially within this cultural moment. It's interesting. And this is kind of how double-minded America is or perhaps even how divided we are. Sure. Juneteenth was made a federal law by a progressive president, while in the same cultural moment, conservatives, right-wing Republicans, I'll say that, are trying to whitewash history. So to your point, Taylor, it does cause division because now you have a people, the dominant culture, many of whom have never heard of Juneteenth, don't know what Juneteenth is, don't know anything about the history of what actually happened during the Civil War, don't know why it's significant. And they're frustrated, they're confused, because they've been, they haven't been educated regarding America's history and the atrocities that have taken place. They just know black people were enslaved, and then there was, you know, the Civil Rights Movement, and then after that, everybody was free, and black people had the same opportunities, right? That's probably... An overgeneralization. So, yeah. but, but my point, though, is is I think what you touched upon is actually very insightful and pastoral, and is what politicians are not getting because the acknowledgement and in the making Juneteenth a federal holiday is not a bad thing. It should have happened. It needed to happen. We celebrating today, right? So that's not at all what we're mm -hmm. saying. Not mad about it. But you gotta have this conflicting feeling when you recognize that, of course, America is divided because at the same time, an accurate account of history isn't being told. And Juneteenth is being looked at as just a way to get revenge against white people or a way to replace the 4th of July. Well, that's, the, that's ultimately the picture of the inconsistency or the hypocrisy. 
again to to become a little unhinged for a moment and and talk about hypocrisy more directly is to say all right we got the symbolic victory of juneteenth giving people who work in typical work environments a day off of work uh, to acknowledge this moment in our history but we still have the george floyd justice and policing act of 2021 chilling in the Senate. Again, we I remember all of the activity surrounding the George Floyd moment in our country. I remember all that. I remember the <laughs> Black Lives Matter, the all black Instagram posts, just like, you know, whatever. You got signs in your lawn. You know, maybe there were some sermons being preached. There was a oh, countless panels on race happening in churches and and, you know, all these environments that people were trying to just jump straight face first into the fire hose and just understand racism for the first time maybe in their entire lives. Yet we have we have legislation that literally speaks to the problem <laughs> or at least one of the problems that it, that the black community has been engaging with for a long time, specifically related to police brutality, and that legislation has not been passed. And and it's like, okay, well, we'll compromise and give you a day off for a holiday, but when it comes to the actual structural issues that we're dealing with as a country, yeah, we need to hold off on that. We need we need to wait. And this is this is historically consistent in terms of the American political system. And I think when you when you read Malcolm's words and he says the white man you know, maybe you get triggered immediately and say, oh, what does he mean by the white man? Well, let's be clear. He's talking about the white political power structure. He's talking about the white government, in a sense, the the racialized system of government that we have. Right. Don't necessarily just hear the white man from Malcolm. Now, I understand definitely being triggered by white devils, but you got to, again, unpack what Malcolm actually meant by that. Oh, we'll talk about that, Phil. We ain't going to give him that today. <laughs> yeah, but the white man, that's just him talking about a particular people group or at the very least a culture. When we talk about what it means to to move forward in this country, um, symbolic victories are not going to get it done. We should have learned that lesson many times leading up to this moment because most of what it means to be an American has to do with idealism in terms of how we learn about this country historically. Mm. And we often, if we're very, if we're honest, we're often looking at how we don't live up to our ideals. We project this image of America and freedom and respecting everyone's ability to pursue life and or pursue happiness and life and, and have all these opportunities. But, you know, historically, we are failing at achieving our ideals. I think we've gotten kind of an introductory um, conversation going as it relates to who Malcolm's audience is. He's, he's, he's talking to black people about the white political structure. And he's, he's telling us to avoid symbolism, essentially like the plague, or at least be aware of symbolism versus actual change. And he uses this term, he, he talks about economic equity. A lot of times, I, I think you and I are interacting in, in Christian circles around a specific conversation relative to reparations. You know, reparations is not something we're going to unfold in detail or even necessarily address it from a federal level. 
But as as Christians interact with Malcolm's words here, I think economic equity sometimes becomes a trigger word or trigger words that, you know, don't fully invite us to engage with with what's being said. So if you use your imagination, like, you know, what what's valuable about a conversation relative to economic equity or reparations towards black people or, or people of African descent um, from a Christian point of view? Reparations might not be the first conversation that we need to have. And and someone, a, a really, really interesting podcast that I'd encourage uh, people to listen to is the Anthony Bradley show where he discusses transitional justice. Transitional justice mm-hmm. essentially refers to the way that countries emerging from periods of conflict or some type of repression adjust like large scale or mm. systematic human mm. rights violations. So numerous and so serious that the normal justice system uh, will not be able to provide an adequate response. Okay, yeah. Right, so so in, in some ways, reconstruction was a form of this because they recognize that you just can't free slaves and then say, all right, go and find jobs, go and do this because you have the side that lost the war, the Confederacy side, still essentially would have the power in these areas. So Reconstruction was trying to reconstruct society because you got to reconstruct society. Otherwise, these individuals will still be under the control of their former oppressors. It's just now Mm -hmm. these oppressors are individuals who maybe can't necessarily call them property, but they do have enough power so that they're able to uh, significantly keep them oppressed Mm -hmm. and abuse them or or misuse them or so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. Right. So Reconstruction was, I think, maybe a form of transitional justice. I'm not an expert on this. This is something that this is a new paradigm or, or new concept that I'm actually thinking through because it's not something that we've discussed a whole lot in America, but apparently other countries have been doing this for mm-hmm. quite some time. It, it is foreign in a sense, but it's right. not new. It's just new to right. people in America. Well, I mean, I appreciate you even bringing or raising the term up because I think we need this terminology to to have some substantive conversations in the black community about specific things that we're, we're hoping to achieve. And, you know, there may be some nuance in, in what people mean behind reparations, a term like that, or, you know, transitional justice. But we need to bring those to the table in, instead of, you know, just kind of expressing a sentiment of this isn't fair, this isn't right, this is unjust without language to to actually address what's going on. So I guess I'll ask you directly, what do you feel like? What Malcolm is saying is capturing the spirit of what you are thinking through right now, what, you know, Dr. Anthony Bradley is processing when he says, you know, we don't want symbolic victories. We want to move towards economic equity. Do you feel like you agree with that in in just kind of the spirit of that or or where how do you interact with it? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I agree with it because I think that symbolic victories rather than economic equity and real justice only fuels the angst that is currently present. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, 
that high is only going to be experienced by one generation, even even if it lasts that long, right? But again, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we're going to be still having the same conversations because we've never really solved the problem. So I think I think what people have to recognize from what we're seeing with Malcolm is that like, y'all, this ain't going anywhere. You can pass your anti-CRT laws. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. But this problem is not going anywhere because as long as symbolic victories are put in place as sort of temporal solutions to sort of calm the angst and for people to, you know, progressives to give themselves a pat on the back even and say, hey, we did something. A few things are going to happen. There's going to be a significant hard shift to a form of socialism and Marxism that's going to become a self-inflicted prophecy. Hmm. Or, or, and the reason why I say that is because conservatives are saying we're going towards Marxism, we're going towards socialism, we're going moving towards com- communism. But the reality is, is that they're doing everything that will inevitably lead us there because they're not showing the beauty of what it is that America claims to be. So in the tweet today, recognizing Juneteenth, one of the people that I follow says this, while some will use Juneteenth to push racial division, it has always been a day for recognizing America as an exceptional nation. A nation that, though flawed, was built with a constitutional framework that allowed us to right our wrongs. Let's use this day as a teachable moment about the evils of slavery and the system that redeemed us. So for the most part, like I can get with what she's doing there. At the same time, I think that I'm I have I'm mm-hmm. slightly conflicted yeah. because again, I don't think that that is as there's there's nothing that she says there that isn't true. I do think that America's greatest strength is is our constitution, but a gra- America's greatest weakness is that there is a culture that's built around not practicing what it is that we preach or not practicing what it is that is written on paper that we claim to believe, right? There's there's a culture, right, that has developed over time in America where what is written has always kind of conflicted with what is done. And, And I think when that happens for so long, there's a blindness to that reality, which makes it really dangerous because one thing can be on paper, but the actions mm-hmm. will look very different. So when she says that it's a nation that though flaw was built with a constitutional framework that allowed us to right our wrongs, mm-hmm. like 100%. But it's not the system that redeemed us. I didn't like that word. It's not the system that actually redeemed us because that's not really how the Civil War and how the emancipation like went down. It's not as, it's not just that Lincoln wanted to free the slaves. Like we just talked about that. I had mm-hmm. this whole conversation with a PhD uh, who's getting with, with a PhD student who's writing her dissertation on mm-hmm. when did the slaves become free? And so there's, there's a whole nother conversation around some of the complexities to how the emancipation actually occurred mm-hmm. and how freedom was actually attained. Regardless, though, we do have a constitution that says all mm-hmm. men are mm-hmm. created equal. 
However, we have a culture that exists in America that mm. constantly conflicts and ignores uh, and leverages that constitution mm. when it's convenient. They ignore it when it's convenient. They leverage it when it's convenient, but they're not. We're, we're rarely ever consistently following yeah. what our constitution actually upholds as these grand truths. Well, I mean, listen, I just got to say, welcome to Make It Plain, where we actually interact with, you know, voices that we may not 1000% agree with, but we're, we're trying to be fair in our presentation of, of what's being communicated and then offer our critiques or responses to places that we, we don't quite track with. So I just want to commend you, Phil, for for humanizing yeah. uh, this sister in such a way where you're able to read her words. Oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you were able to identify charitably yeah. like a place where, you know, you might not necessarily go with her. And that's what we try to do on this podcast is like, you know, we're not trying to articulate perfect perspectives as if you don't have to check in or or, or compare with other voices that may be trying to communicate similar things, but we're, we're trying to, to, to do our best to interact with what's out there and all the nuances that are associated. So that was really good, bro. That was, that was really, really helpful. And, and I do think at the end of the day, you know, being a citizen of the United States of America is going to involve that difficult journey of identifying our idealistic pursuits versus how things actually played out. Yeah. Here's here's what I'll I'll say too is is just to be clear, I don't I don't think we're going to sit here and try to solve a a problem that should be responded to by the federal government. We are at the end of the day citizens uh, of a kingdom that's not of this world and you know this this notion that Malcolm <laughs> just says it's just funny to me because I could I could just hear so many different people using these words with different meanings. He says real justice. Real justice. You know, and <laughs> every I can hear so many people contending for that sentiment in different ways and saying, no, this is real justice or this is real justice or this is real justice. When you talk about reparations, man, I, I, you know, I don't look to the federal government necessarily to establish the way we should go. Like there's a difference between being hung up on symbolism or being disappointed in symbolic gestures. It's, it's a difference between that and actually setting a precedent, you know, and saying this is what we're going to do and we're going to demonstrate our commitment to this decision um, or we're going to we're going to demonstrate our commitment to this standard by implementing this decision. You know, the, the thing I think Malcolm is addressing here is is to establish a distinction between symbolism and setting a precedent. You know, if if you offer a symbolic gesture with no real intention of addressing the issue at hand, then, you know, I think, you know, Malcolm's saying we need to be aware of what that looks like and, and distance ourselves from that versus setting a precedent, which is identifying the issue at hand, not overpromising and saying that you're going to solve everything right now, but demonstrating a commitment or an investment to the end of the standard you hope to achieve. And so it's not 
hey, let me give you something to distract you from the fact that I'm not really going to address what you're asking for, um, you know, a smokescreen of sorts. Um, it's, it's more of, hey, I'm going to acknowledge what you're saying. I'm not going to commit to maybe I'm not going to commit to everything that you're asking for, but I am going to commit to this this action that's going to demonstrate a long-term commitment at addressing the whole problem. And I think we we have to work through what that looks like. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean relying on the federal government. Because here's the thing, I would like for us to get to a place where the church establishes the precedent, not the government, you know? And, and if we can get to that place, I think we will have a better witness in society. We would convince the Malcolms of the world that the church is for real, that this is something 100% bro. Yeah. That this is something bigger than us. This is, this is something that God is concerned about. And that's the problem. And that is, and, and it would be powerful because it's voluntary. Yes, man. Whatever the federal government does is going to be through coercion. I must, this is, and this is, this also, yeah, I wrote this article a while back, and it wasn't necessarily from this angle, but I do think that one of the reasons why I'm attracted to libertarianism in some ways is because it basically demands that the church be mm-hmm. about the church's business. And because the church has essentially, in some ways, not been as active about the mercy ministry. Uh, of the church and the caring for the neighbor. I mean, like, like who was building the hospitals? It yep. was, it was churches, right? It was Christians that were doing, uh, a lot, bringing about yes. a lot of the social goods. And when the government essentially came in and began to do those things, a lot of times people talk about big government replacing the father in the home and also replaced the church doing good in society. But nobody talks about that, bro. That's a bomb right there, because at the end of the day, we're talking about all these hypocrisies associated with American idealism. Well, what about the Christian church? You know, and the things that we say that we're about, the things that we we say we're committed to on a wide scale. And then we look at the track record. You know, this conversation is relates to social inequity and <laughs> Malcolm uses the term real justice you know, I, I would even associate what you talked about in terms of building hospitals and, and other ways that churches have committed historically to seeking the good of a society. I would consider those justice efforts as well. And, you know, we have to look at our witness and, and what people think of us based on what we can actually say we've committed to throughout the years. Yeah. And I want to make a distinction, too, between the church as an institution Right. And the church as like the individuals that make up that body, because I think that, you know, what a lot of people will hit you with is like, well, what's the mission of the church? Like I hear this a lot. And I'm like, I think the I I feel like for some, not all, the what is the mission of the church is a 2021 version of who is my neighbor? Sure. Like American government is so unique and so different. Like the government is made of the people. Like we send people to Capitol Hill, to the, uh, st- to the, to the, to the state capitals and to the national capital in order to represent us, 
right? Yeah. The the people ultimately within the uh, confines of the Constitution, the the people are the government. We don't have a dictatorship. We don't have a monarchy. The government is a reflection of us. So what the government does, to some extent, be, by nature of the way that this this beautiful, in some ways, experiment is is, is made up, it is a reflection. Mm-hmm. of our values mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a reflection of yeah. who we actually are as a people and to some extent I, I just oftentimes think about the church and how it engaged the government during early christianity like rome mm-hmm. you you can't that's not a one-to-one comparison to how we should engage government in the 21st century as Christians living in the freest nation in in the world, mm-hmm. right? Because we have liberties that Paul and early Christians did not have. Right. We have power that they did not have. I, I just say that we got to be very careful when we're talking about those two things, not to conflate them as if they're the same, because I don't think that even Paul would go to different governments and give a prescription for how you should engage all governments. I think we should look at what Paul said about government. But oftentimes I see this, even in reform circles, we take what was described, even though we know better, we take what was described Mm -hmm. and then we try to prescribe it in our context. And I was like, no, no, no. Paul was, when Paul was being prescriptive and when he talked about the government, he was prescribing. And I think that honoring the government is still true. Honoring your leaders and the authority, all that is still true. But you can't be looking at the book of Acts and then trying to ascertain how we should engage because we're the Acts is telling the story of what happened in the early church. Yes. Not always prescribing what we should do in the 21st century. Yep. And I think looking at what happens is extremely helpful for us because— we're not just chilling in the idealism. You know, that's that's some of my issue with folks taking a hyper focus on the epistles in the New Testament to, to talk about the instructions as if they exist outside of application and how things actually played out. You know, like you're not getting an actual or an accurate view of the local church's role in society or even how it affected other people whether it be in a personal context or society-wise. I mean, you if you're going to quote Paul and talk about what he says about honoring the government, also remember Paul is a person who organized a personal protest around his rights as a Roman citizen. He said, listen, you ain't going to just treat me like this. I'm a, I'm a citizen of Rome, and you will acknowledge this and the laws that are associated with it. And that's that's something we should learn from as well, you know? And so, again, I don't want to rely on the federal government to necessarily uh, be the entity that achieves all of God's goals or, you know, the kingdom agenda or whatever language you want to use. The church should be setting the precedent. We should be able to be introspective enough to look at what we have done, what we've committed to, how we apply the faith that we proclaim in ways that trans- transform society. And in, in this case, I think we have a real opportunity here to to take some macro level accountability as to how this plays out. And and, you know, a person like Malcolm is right to critique American society and and particularly the expression of the Christian church in America, because right now, Phil, we, we still have an arguments in one of the most one of the largest denominations 
in this country about what this looks like. You know, like here's here's the here's the pattern that I consistently see within the church. The government takes action. Christians oftentimes fight those actions tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. And then a generation or two later, now all of a sudden you have equal rights. What more do you want? Why do you just keep asking us? We gave you this. We get like you. You actually didn't do anything. Yeah. Like it was always like so that so the church in this particular cultural context. And I think that and I'm hoping that, you know, my children and my grandchildren won't be repeating the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the church has an opportunity mm-hmm. to do something that the American church historically has never done. Yes. And that's lead. Yes, bro. Rather than yes. fight. Yes. Rather than fight at every turn. And then all of a sudden when they realize they can't win accept it and then to some extent talk about it as if they participated in the giving of that thing Man. whatever that whether it's the civil rights act whether it's the emancipation regardless of what it is yes bro i love it. i love that i mean i don't even I, <laughs> lead like we are we are not designed to be reactionary we're designed to be prophetic and and that means we have insight at, into things that have to do with the design of our own bodies, our own, you know, the, the design of a human being and the design of society. So you, we can we can take on this mission personally in our interactions with individual people, but we can also take on this mission on a society wide level and proclaim the things that God has said and ultimately hold systems of power and government accountable to his standard, you know? So I, I think sometimes that gets conflated with the story of America or the purpose of the American government. And that narrative gets propagandized to its citizens broadly and to its church. And what we are, we're talking about is an expression of following Christ, but that may not have necessarily hit the mainstream and it's creating all this tension and division and all this stuff because the integrity of the church's role or presence in this country, it deserves some critique. It deserves accountability. Like what, what's going on? Are y'all down for this or are you not? And I think that's why Malcolm X is so helpful because he's saying things that should cause us to look more deeply at our, our convictions and what we believe the scripture teaches us and to literally be dialed into what following Christ means on a much deeper level. Mm, that's good. You know, man, I think we covered as much as we could today. I think we left people with some things at least to talk about and to think about and process. Um, so, yeah, let's let's just stop here and, and um you know, if you guys have any feedback or thoughts, please continue to share with us. Absolutely, man. Yo, I enjoyed having this conversation with you, bro. Man, there is there's so much here that can be explored. And another yeah. Malcolm quote is is definitely going to bring us back here. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to continuing this, man. And we gotta get in the same studio. We like we gotta get in the same studio. Yeah and do this as opposed to uh, maybe I need maybe it's my turn to fly to Ohio come through set up shop or something up there and see if we can record 
or meet halfway or something. We, we, we got to figure something out. Come through. I'd love to welcome you to the Midwest, dog. Malcolm's birthplace, the Midwest. <laughs> the Midwest, broadly. <laughs> yeah, broadly, the Midwest. Claim yeah, that. yeah, dope, dope. All right, man. Yep. It's been a blessed conversation, dog. Yep. guys as you know this past juneteenth jasmine and i launched an online store called carved in ebony and to celebrate it we wanted to give away some merch so we have three winners our grand prize winner is miss carmen myers our two runner-ups is Miss Esther Miller and Miss Remy Joy. For those of you that participated, thank you so much. The grand prize winner is going to receive a Make It Plain podcast t-shirt and an 1865 Let Freedom Ring t-shirt. And the two runner-ups will also win podcast t-shirts as well. We're going to be doing more giveaways because we love giveaways and we appreciate our sponsor for this particular giveaway, which is Carved in Ebony. If you guys have not had a chance to check out this store, please do. Just go to carvedinebony.shop. That's carvedinebony.shop to check out some of our merch. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save